a copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of Colossians? If you're new to the Bible, Colossians is towards the end of your Bible. If you are in a, um, an old school Bible, just, just hit the middle and start working towards the end. It's probably going to be about three pages in there, and so you just kind of keep looking through the New Testament is what we call it. You'll stumble upon the book of Colossians. If you're on your device, just keep scrolling towards the very end, and we would love for you to find Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at tonight. Well, I have three daughters, and about six years ago, we introduced our first daughter into the world, and that began this discussion between my wife and I um, that revolved around, hey, what are we going to be about as a family? And so we established 10 family values, and uh, these are things that we prayed through and, and have come from God's Word. And so if you come over to my house, uh, you'd walk into my living space, and you would see a frame, and there's these 10 words or phrases that mark my family. And one of those phrases is hard work. And so we want our children and we want my wife and I to be uh, reflective of that statement, that we want to work hard. And so we discipline our kids based upon uh, these values and, and we reward them based upon these values. And so, you know, they're in school, they do gymnastics and dance. And so like when they have demonstrated hard work, we're like, man, high five, let's get ice cream. And then when they are being lazy, we come alongside of them and we reprimand them and we say, hey, you're not upholding the values of our family. And the particular verse that we have attached to that value is where we find ourselves um, tonight and some other verses as well. And so, man, I'm so excited where we're headed uh, tonight because it means a lot to me. Now, um, I've got three kids, and one of them, she's kind of in the age of innocence right now. Uh, she's a year and a half, but the older two, they are re they're responsible, and I can determine kind of what they're going to be about. And so Lydia, she's my firstborn, stereotypical firstborn. Some of you, you're out there, and she is, she's dangerous. Yeah, whoop, yeah, she's dangerous of being an overworker. And what I mean by that is, is that she is like, man, wants to do everything perfectly. She's got great handwriting. Um, she wants to like learn how to do the dishes and all that stuff. And so the problem is, is that she kind of is always like, hey, dad, watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Did you see what I did? Did you see that? And so she's working to get approval. And then the other one, she kind of falls into the category of being an underworker, all right? Like, that's, that's like probably some of y'all are like, yes, that's a title. I didn't know that. And so that means that you're just kind of like, you've got to be motivated all the time. You're told what to do. And by the time you start walking to do it, you're like, what was I supposed to do, you know? And then so you got to be reminded. And so um, I knew I was getting ready to preach this, and we were finishing up our day a couple of days ago. And I told both of my daughters to do respective responsibilities, and I captured this right here. You can see Lydia on the right. She's got her apron on. I mean, she is looking good, and she is scrubbing those dishes, y'all. But she wanted to be in the middle room of the house, which is the kitchen, and she wanted my wife and I to be in the kitchen to watch her do her work, right? And then you got Elizabeth. She's not putting Legos away. She's actually pulling Legos out and playing with them. And then um, Anna Joy, just in the background, tending to some babies of hers, I guess. Anyway, and so you see these two categories. And I start there tonight because I think most of us could fall into one of those two categories, into the overworking category or the underworking category. And listen, our view of work, man, it is imperative that we have a proper view of work because you know that you're going to spend the most time in your life do, doing this thing, which we all love, and it's sleeping, and then the second most time you will spend in your life, on average, about 90,000 hours you'll spend in your lifetime working. And so the thing that you will give your most active, awake hours to is work. And I want to warn you to not fall into one of these two categories. And I want to tell you that where we're going to be tonight, the gospel and the word of God, it liberates you from being an overworker and an underworker at the same time. 
And so for those of you, like you're an overworker, your tendency is to kind of like um, see work as like this mythological like thing that's going to satisfy you. And so um, you are your job. People are like, you know, they ask you, what do you do? And you kind of stick your chest out. You're like, well, you know, I'm a doctor. Or, uh, well, you know, I manage um, Chick-fil-A or you, whatever your thing is. And anyway, you stick your chest out and you're so excited and, and you are what you do. So much so that you have lost yourself in your job. Like you couldn't imagine yourself apart from that thing. Now, we were brought up on this lie that said, hey, you need to follow your passions. And so that phrase became real popular when we were all coming up in school. And, and so this idea that you could find like kind of the perfect fit for your life and then you could follow it. And so what's happened is that a lot of people have become workaholics. They think that they found their passion or they're looking for their passion and maybe your passion is just making money. And so you're like, I'm going to work really hard so I can make more money. And so you fall into this category of an overworker and a workaholic. There's only one problem there. Though we are following our passions like never before, the satisfaction that we feel in the workplace is at an all-time low. So much so that Gallup Poll says that we will change our jobs three times as much as any other generation before us. Like we, like our generation, us in the room, like we, we are changing jobs on, like every two years just about on average. Because we're looking for something out there, we're looking for fulfillment in our work, and listen, it doesn't exist. And if you are trying to find purpose in your work by chasing your passion, you're going to be misled because, listen, this thing inside of your chest that Disney told us to follow, follow your heart, you know, that you got to let it go, like, like Elsa, and you just got to follow your heart, that thing that Disney told us to follow, like it's going to lead you astray. The Word of God, which is proven and tested, and it's pretty spot on, it says this, that there's a way that seems right in your heart. You're like, yeah, that sounds good. Yes, let me have that but it ends in death. Like Jeremiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, wrote this thousands of years ago. He said that the heart is deceitfully wicked and beyond cure. Who can know it? That if you decide to follow your passions and you fall into this overwork category, you're gonna find your identity being built upon something that is a sandy foundation, and it will disappoint you. Uh, the other end is underwork. We kind of um, like we we kind of see work as like a necessary means of evil, you know, just to make money, just to get by, you know. And so we kind of we we fall into this kind of Greco-Roman mentality that you know that the, the the divines. And when you get to heaven, you you'll just kind of be on like this eternal vacation. You know, and, and that the, the gods in Rome and Greek gods, they, they created mankind and they put work upon them because that was kind of like a second-rate citizen. And so you kind of see work this way. That's why you're 28, living with mom and dad in the basement, wearing your Star Wars pajamas, thinking that you're going to hustle up some sort of eBay business or day trading business and somehow be a millionaire by the time you're 32. Don't look at them. Just blink at me if you're sitting next to that person, right? And so you're like, man, I just don't want to work hard. Hard work? No way. And so some of you think that you can like hit a sweet spot where you can get handouts from a certain organization and then you think you can just coast through and you're just going to get by by getting handouts from somebody because Lord forbid you have to work hard and go get it and earn it something yourself. And so we have this kind of this stirring in our generation that says, hey, I deserve to have things and not have to work for them. 
And so we find ourselves probably in these two categories, and the gospel has come to liberate us from, bro- from both. We don't want to have a culture of workaholics, nor do we want to have a culture of lazy people who see work as drudgery because it's a slippery slope on both sides of the fence. And so tonight, I want to look at the subject of work, and I want to look particularly at the heart of work. I want to look at wrong work. And then before we leave tonight, I want y'all to see the masterwork in which God is unfolding in our lives today that he is inviting us to be a part of. So Paul, he's written this letter, this little letter to this church in Colossae, which is modern day Turkey. And he's written this letter to try to get our eyes lifted and focused on the bigness of God. Just like Nadia was saying earlier, that we would, we would not set our minds on things below, but on things above. That we would be so enamored and so asphyxiated with this Jesus, who is the king of the universe. That everything is created by him and for him. And in him, everything has their life and their being. And that Paul is saying, like, you've got to get to know this Jesus. He's not dead. He's not hanging on a cross. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he is God, he is Savior, and he is King. And once we begin to get our minds wrapped around this profound Christological reality that Christ is all and in all and he's above all, it begins to affect the way we do life. And so he's been laying out these kind of organic Christianity on the floor type things over the last couple weeks, and now he turns his attention towards the way that we do work. Colossians 3.22 says this, Bond servants, some of your translations say slaves, obey in all things your masters. All right, let me just pause real quick. Let me just say a couple of things about slavery. Slavery in any context is deplorable. It's terrible. And one of the stains on the history of America is slavery. And slavery isn't over. There's still modern day slaves today. In fact, there's more people enslaved today than ever in the history of mankind. And it's evil and it's wicked. But what we see in the course of history when, with letters like this and other letters that a man named Paul and a man named James and other men, Jesus, that they, that they came together, that they wrote about what was happening in their life, we see that the gospel and the word of God, it not only it, it, it eradicates slavery, By elevating the slave, listen, it elevates the slave. It never excuses the slave. It never says, you know what, you're a slave, and so you can be bitter and and you can hate your enemies because because they have treated you as property. It never does that. It elevates the slave. It says, you are someone in Christ, that you matter, that you are a blood-bought daughter or son of Jesus. And it elevates them to a place of equality, But then the gospel, it also erodes slavery from the inside out. And so let me just give you an example. There's a small letter, only one chapter, my kind of letter. It's the letter to Philemon, and he was a slave owner. And it was a letter on behalf of a guy named Onesimus, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. And here's what Paul wrote on behalf of Onesimus towards Philemon, the slave owner. He said this, Onesimus, he is no longer like a slave to you. That Paul is, he is erasing the lines of segregation and distinction between the classes. He says, he is more than a slave. He is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. 
that we see historically that the gospel began to rot slavery from the inside out. That's why men that were compelled by the gospel, not perfect men like William Wilberforce who pushed back the darkness of slavery and the African slave trade in Great Britain and in England in the 1800s, and he, uh, he was the person that led the charge on the abolition of the slave trade, and then men, more contemporary men that, that loved God, not perfect men, but like Martin Luther King Jr., who were so gripped by the gospel that they said, hey, something has got to stop, and so they began to stand up for the rights of mankind because they were moved by the gospel and by things like this. So for our sakes tonight, let's go back to Colossians, Colossians 3.22. And I want you to circle the word bondservant. And I want you to circle it and just draw a dash out there and write employee. Employee. And it says, so employees, we're all employees or we're all college students or somewhere it should be anyway. Employees, obey in all things your, you could circle masters and put boss. Employees, obey in all things your boss according to the flesh. Not with eye service, notice what he says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but he gives us the positive, but in the sincerity of heart, fearing God. And then the the crux of the matter, I love this verse, verse 23, he says, and whatever you do, y'all say whatever. And whatever you do, do it heartily. Y'all could circle that phrase, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Heart work. Heart work. This phrase, heartily, it literally means that you are to do it out of your soul. That you're to work, you're to put your heart on display when you work. That you're to work so um, vigorously and so so much with excellence that people, they can see the measure of your work and they can see a snapshot of your soul, of your heart. That he said, hey, when you go to work, you're not working just for your boss alone. It's much bigger than that. You're going to spend 90,000 hours not working for the man, but working for Christ. And listen, we were created to do work, but we were not created for work. Let, let me explain. We were created to do work. So a lot of us, we have this idea that work is kind of a, a part of the fall, but it's not. Like when you read in Genesis, you see that work was introduced into mankind's, uh, their, their activity before the fall ever came into be. And, and so work, we even see in Genesis that God goes to work. And so Genesis, the creation account, it tells us that we have a God that gets his hands dirty, that he goes to work for six days, and then he rests on the seventh. And what God is doing is that he is elevating the sanctity and the sacredness of work. And listen, you were created to do work. And if you are living a lazy life where you're just bebopping from place to place or job to job, and you're not working, you're not honoring God. And if you claim to follow God, but you're not passionately pursuing a job, then you're living outside of God's will for your life. You're not reflecting the image of God. God is a God. We serve a God who went to work for six days and then rested the seventh. He didn't loathe work for six days. He didn't skip work for six days. He didn't rest for six days and then go hang out with his parents on the seventh. He went to work And God creates the world, and he invites us to be co-creators with him. And we are his instrument to be those that cultivate the world. And so get get your paradigm shifted around how you see work. God is inviting you in. And that means if you're picking up trash on people's curbs, or if you're litigating in a law office or in a courtroom, 
and everything in between. He's inviting you in to stand for justice and to clean the streets and everything in between. And he's saying all of those things, they matter to my heart when you do them the way that I would do them. And he's inviting you in to cultivate and to create. You were created to do work. But listen, you were not created for work. You were created for worship. You were created for worship. And until you begin to wrap your mind around this reality that 90,000 hours of your life could be spent worshiping the God of the universe, you're going to miss the point of one of the greatest contributions in your life. Listen, who cares about your work? Who cares about your work the most? Your boss? Who cares about the, your work the most? You? Like, you want to show up? You want to get yours? Make your money? Or, or do you think God cares about your work the most? I'm going to go with God. He loves you more than you love you, and he cares diligently, or he cares a lot about your work because he wants you to do work that would affect, that, that would um, reflect him in the world. And so here's the deal. Here's the invitation. We've said this before. Invite God to work with you. When you're driving to your office in the morning, you're going to work tonight, invite God to work with you. When you're going to your class and you don't know what, if you're even going to make the grade, invite God to work with you. Why wouldn't you want to invite the person that cares the most about you and about your work to work with you? Earlier today, I, was, I got to go home just for a few minutes, and my daughters, they do homeschool, and so they're in there working on their workbooks, and my Lydia, she's like, hey, Daddy, hey, Daddy, and I'm like, yeah, baby, how do you spell growl? I wasn't like, I don't know, you find out, man, I'm out of here, right? No, that would be wicked. She asked me for help. What did I do? I said, you spell it G-R-A-W-L. I'm just kidding. I said, you spell it. some of y'all are like, wait, bro. I said, here's how you spell it. And she said, G. And I said, R. She said, R. I said, O. And on and on and on. And it was my pleasure to help her with her work. Why? Because she's my child. Invite God to work. Don't sit there and go, I just can't figure out how to spell this ground word. And then look up and see your daddy right there and just go, Look, open your mouth and open your heart and say, Daddy, would you help me? And invite God into your work. If you're going to get to the heart of work, you got to understand, you got to do work, all right? You got to do work, but you don't let your work define you. So how do you do this practically? Um, so I was talking with a guy that's in our church, and he's, he's very successful. He's, he's the 22nd fastest growing company in Kansas City right now. He runs it. And uh, he's, he's had success early on. And so I was just kind of picking his brain. I was like, hey, bro, I'm going to be talking about work. Could you help me out? And this guy, he, he's passionately in love with Jesus, and he's leveraging his very successful business in which he works really hard um, to, to advance the gospel and also help economy and employ people. And he's got like 200 full-time employees and then 700 subs all across the states, and, and he's doing really well, and God's really blessing his business. But he said, you know, early on, I, I was able to achieve success, so I thought, and, and I was able to hit, you know, like over, I think, $6 million in business by the time I was 30. But I found out that success wasn't all that it was cut out to be. Listen, let me say that again. He made millions by the time he was 30. 
and he found out it was not everything he thought it would be. And he said this, he said that I I figured out that I didn't need success so much as I needed significance. And some of you think that if you could just get enough money or make a big enough difference, then you would be successful. And you could look at all those haters that you went to school with or that you could look at your parents and say, is this finally good enough? And and you think that that somehow is going to satisfy you, but it's not. And he said, listen, I found my purpose rooted in Acts 17 26 and 27. And let me just read it to you real quick. And I love this. He said, or excuse me, Paul wrote this from Acts 17, 26 through 27. This is Paul talking. He said, from one man, God is the he, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. So what Paul has just said is that God made you. And he made you to live in a specific geographical location at a specific place in the chronological time span for a purpose. God is sovereign, and he's planted you in your job. It may be the worst job you could imagine, but he's got you there for a reason. And here's the reason in verse 27. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And so he said, once I I begin to unpack this verse, I begin to understand that God had called me into the business world at a specific time, at a specific place, to do a specific thing so that I could connect people to God. And so I do all that I do. I make money and I, I hire people, not so that I can just build my kingdom and have success, but so that I could find significance. And he said this, that God has sovereignly placed you where he has placed you for a purpose. The heart of work is to connect people to God's heart. Let me uh, illustrate it this way. I've asked a few of my friends to come up here. Why don't y'all come up here real quick, guys, and uh, help us out. Yeah, come on. Y'all give them a hand as they're getting up here just to help it. Yeah, come on. All right, this is um, some of my people. So, uh, Jesse, you're going to be God, okay? I know it's not a stretch. And so, God, why don't you just stand over there? Sorry, I told you what to do, but that's how most of us pray anyway. Um, okay, and uh, you're going to be our Christian worker. You can just stand right here. And Josh, you're going to be um, our lost coworker. And you're just going to wear this right here. I'm just kidding. Okay, you can wear that as a blindfold. I'm going to let you put that on yourself. That'd be weird for me to do that. All right, so Acts 17 is kind of saying that, that the purpose of of Kirsty, who's going to work every day, is, is that she is to help people who are reaching out to God. It's this idea that, that, that there are blind men and women that you go and you work with every day that are reaching out to God. And so, Kirsty, I need you to grab God's hand real quick. Oh, that's so sweet. Are you dating God? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. All right. I just told you I wouldn't make it awkward, but I just did. Okay, so if you follow Christ, what you're saying is that you love God. You love God. And if you follow Christ, what you're also saying is that you care for people. But how can you love God and simultaneously care for people, but then go to work and never try to connect the two? And so Jay, uh, the guy that I, I interviewed, he said this, and, and I love this. He He said this quote, he said, if I suggest that I care about my people and I say that I love Jesus and he is my savior, then why do they never collide? Do I really care about that person? 
And so if you are in Christ, your job is to, is to grab your lost co-worker's hand, and you've got a hold of God's hand, and then your job is to try to bring them together. Go ahead, go ahead, and then connect them, help them find each other, so that your lost co-worker can begin to have a right relationship with God. Okay, y'all can let go for a second. And this is why God has sovereignly planted you in the job and in the place that he's planted you in. Don't follow your passion. You tell your passion its purpose. And your purpose is to live and to represent and to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That you are to work heartily so that you can connect people wholly to the living God. And that's why he's placed you in the place he's placed you. Listen, when you are reaching out for God's hand while simultaneously reaching out for the hand of others, you are using your work for the greatest purpose. And this is why God has called you to the place he's called you, so that you can grab the hand of God and connect it to the hand of those that you go to work with that don't know God. Y'all give them a hand. Thank you guys so much. You want to keep that? Okay, good. (laughs) So Paul, he gives us some ways that we are to work here in verse 22. And here's what he says. He says that you are to obey your bosses. And he says, not with eye service or as men pleasers. And so when you go to work, you need to ask yourself, am I working as a man or a woman of integrity? Or am I just only doing what I need to do when my boss is watching? Or am I doing everything that I do so that, you know, I'll get noticed and people will think I'm a pretty great guy or a pretty great gal? If you're a follower of Christ, Paul would say earlier to the church of Galatia that you are not to live for the approval of men. That if you were living for the approval of men, then you would not be a follower of Jesus Christ. That we are to be God-pleasers, not man-pleasers. And we are to work hard when no one is watching because we are to put our soul and our heart into our work because we work not for men but for the Lord. So he tells us, hey, don't work as a band pleaser as, or as someone who, who needs eye service all the time. But he says, but you need to work in, notice this phrase, in sincerity of heart. Now, first of all, it just, this whole passage assumes that, that work would simply just be done, okay? It assumes that, that the believer, that the person has to work in order to exist. And so let me just say this again. If you don't have a job and you are fully capable of getting a job and you're not even trying to get a job, You are not being honorable to what God has entrusted to you. And it is wicked for you to be lazy. It's one of the seven deadly sins. That you would just mope around and that you would just kind of, I don't know, just just kind of like a leech off of people in, in your life. Get a job and go to work and make money and live to the glory of God. Thank you. Hopefully you got a job. If you're in college, go to class. Don't waste money. Even if it was loaned to you, you want to pay it back. Go to class and study and be the best student you can be because your studies and the way that you work, it reflects the glory of God. And so we need to work. It just it, it implies that you should work hard. The second thing is that work should be done with the sincerity of heart. It's this idea that you have this singular focus, that, that you are a person, a man that has focus and integrity. That it's, a, it's this idea that you do your best when you go to work. That our work must be honest. It must be ethical. 
that we shouldn't be marked by hip- hypocrisy or, or be a person that is duplicitous in our nature. And so I wonder, are you the person that just shows up to work and then binges on Facebook or Instagram or whatever you have access to at your office? And then you know when your boss is going to come strolling down the hall and then you close that browser and you, you set up like you're working hard. You're stealing. If you are getting paid to do your personal leisure, you're stealing. And we're to be people who are marked with the sincerity of heart. And some of you, you have this mentality. You're like, well, <laughs> man, you won't believe I got the perfect job. I got to get paid and I don't have to do anything. And so they don't ever check in on me. And so, like, I don't have to do any of my work. I just get paid. And it's, it's awesome. And so I'm milking the system and I'm sticking it to the man. God's watching. Are you an employee that is marked by the sincerity of heart? And ultimately, he says that you are to do work out of the fear of God. You're to do work out of the fear of God. Listen, you will give an account for how you've spent your life. And so one day you're going to die and then you'll be judged, Hebrews 9 says. And so you'll stand there and God will say, okay, what did you do for my glory with the most time in your life? that I gave you, and you're like, well, I slept. And he's like, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah, you slept in my glory. I was watching you. You were so kind of weird anyway. And then he said, all right, all right, number two, the, the second most amount of time, what did you do for my glory? Oh, well, that was my work. I didn't know I could use that for your glory. Oh. Listen, work for the glory of God. Do you see your work as an opportunity to glory God, to glorify God? Luke 16.10 says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. The heart of your work should mirror God's heart for your work. And the way you work matters. Because listen, the way you work, how you show up to your job will either undermine or underscore your witness. It will either undermine or underscore your witness. So you, you come moping in all lazy with your shirt untucked and, and your, your breath stank and you ain't fixed your hair, but you got your Bible. <laughs> You're about to tell somebody about Jesus. But you're lazy. You're a terrible worker. Ain't nobody going to listen to you. And the way that you work, it is undermining your witness. But you show up to work on time and you dominate the workplace and you are the hardest worker, you succeed in your field, you have a great attitude, you work with integrity, you don't cut corners, you're not hypocritical in the way you work. And then when you start telling people about Jesus and about the excellence of our God, they'll say, oh, that makes sense why he's so excellent. The way you work will either undermine or underscore your witness. Verse 24, it says this, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, that's Christ, for you serve the Lord Christ. See, the heart of our work is ultimately to serve Christ. And so you can use your job today to do at least three things. You can serve the Lord in three ways with your work. The first one is that you can make a lot of money to provide for your family. First Timothy 5, 8 says, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. You, you catch that? Like unbelievers who are pagans who sacrifice their children on altars. If you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Some are like, I ain't got a family, Chad. I'm single. 
all right? Let me give you the greatest contribution to your family that you can be doing right now. Get out of debt. Get out of debt or stay out of debt. Wage war against your debt today so that when you get... And when you fall in love and you get married, you set your new family on a pace and in a place where you can have liberty from debt and from the bondage. The second thing you do is provide for others. First John 3, 17 says, if you see someone in need and you, don't, and you have an ability to do something, you don't do it, then you're wicked. And so go to work, make lots of money, and then give money away to people that can't provide for themselves. And so adopt somebody that's across the world that is just struggling to eat and go to school. And pay the $35, sacrifice four lattes, pumpkin spice lattes a month, and you send them to school and you help them and you advocate. The third thing that you should do in order to serve the Lord with your work is that you should make lots of money to, to go towards providing the, the advancement of the gospel. That you provide for the sake of the gospel. That we are to use all that God has given us. We're not to pimp out our best skills and abilities to corporate America. And then leave nothing for the church of Jesus Christ. Man, there are so many gifts and talents and abilities in this room tonight. And you're, you're, you're just giving them all away just to make money. And that is a great thing. And you should do that. But you should also leverage your gifts. And it's been amazing to see so many of you leverage your artistic ability. Leverage your ability to plumb or your ability to do mechanic work or, or your ability to counsel or whatever it is, financial advice, whatever you do, and to help with our community groups and to help edify the body of Christ. Use your gifts for the sake of the body of Christ. What gifts are you withholding from serving the Lord? What gifts are you withholding from serving the Lord? So your abilities should make you money, but they should also perpetuate the mission and the movement of the church. You know, there's about 50 countries that they will not allow Christian missionaries to go to. But they will allow engineers. And they will allow businessmen and women. And you could go today and you could go make business in those places and stand in the middle and grab God's hand and grab the blind men and women that are reaching out, that are perishing in their sin, and connect them. This is God's heart for work. Is it yours? He goes on in verse 25 and he says this, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he's done. And there is no partiality. If you're taking notes, write this down, wrong work, wrong work. See, when we overwork, we're doing work wrongly. We're, we're workaholics. We're thinking that we're going to find our identity in our work. And so we chase our passions. We're trying to find fulfillment, and it won't satisfy you. And the other thing that we do when we overwork, we're doing work wrongly because we think that because we are good at something, that justifies our existence. And so you'll see these guys are like, well, I'm, I'm in the art industry, and so like I create and I make art, and therefore I exist and so they think that what justifies their existence on the planet is what they do for the planet. And your work will never justify you. You cannot make a big enough difference in this world. You can't win enough Nobel Peace Prizes. You can't win enough championships. You can't save enough lives for it to justify you. You need God to do that. 
And so your work, when we do it wrongly, we think it's going to satisfy us and justify us. Or we underwork and we do work wrongly, so we start cutting corners. That's more what Paul's talking about here, the type of wrong work. He's saying, man, don't be lazy. Don't cut corners. Don't lie to get ahead. Don't have a poor attitude. I think this is where we all fail. Paul would say later in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 14 and 15, he says, in everything you do, y'all say everything. Say it like you mean it, everything. Good. In everything you do. That's your job. Everything you do, stay away from complaining. Uh-oh. Some of y'all went to work yesterday like, man, can't we just do Labor Day again? Right? And you just find yourself, are you a complainer at the office? Are you toxic to the company? Are you a complainer in the classroom? Are you toxic to the lab? And Paul's saying that the people of God should do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of people who are crooked and stubborn. He says this, I love this, shine out among them like beacons of light. The video that we watched as we started tonight, it it said that we shine bright. And when we go to work and we do work right and we reflect God's heart for work, we are shining bright wherever we are. Whether we're a firefighter or an art teacher, we shine bright when we work the way God wants us to work. And so know the heart of work and do work the right way, not the wrong way. Some of y'all are like mission trip junkies, right? Like uh, there's a few of y'all here, you would love to go on a mission trip to here, there, and everywhere. And a mission trip's where you spend a lot of money and you go for a short time to a place and, uh, and you get to like live on mission. You tell people about Jesus, you serve the people, you, you get to know them. That's kind of like a mission trip. And we do this often here at Abundant Life. We call them global outreach teams. We go all over the world. And even what Josiah was talking about earlier called Unashamed. It's an opportunity to go into the city and live on mission. And uh, I want you to imagine, if you understand what I'm saying, I want you to imagine Imagine I came to you and I'm like, hey, I've got an incredible opportunity. Okay, you can go on a mission trip. You can go to a place. You can begin to tell people about Jesus, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to learn a lot of things, and check this out. They're going to pay you to do that. Some of you are like, man, sign me up. Next step's desk. Here I come, right? And so you're going to go sign up. You have that opportunity. It's called your job. It's called your classroom. God is allowing you to get paid to live on mission. 90,000 hours in your life. What are you doing with your work? The guy that I was talking with um, in the interview that was really successful, he said that, that you've got to, to get a hold of this idea that your vocation becomes your mission. And I love that because that's what our pastor, Pastor Phil, says that your vocation is your mission. And so if you want to allow your vocation to be your your mission, but you just don't know how, sign up for Unashamed. Like, we'll train you. We will prepare you to fulfill your purpose. And so let's go. Let's do this, church. And listen, it's going to be uncomfortable. Everything's uncomfortable until it becomes comfortable. Like when you learn how to drive, when you started wearing skinny jeans. (laughs) Somebody like, yeah. Gotta get that stretch going, right? <laughs> They're gonna get comfortable. Everything is uncomfortable until it becomes comfortable, and the only way it becomes comfortable is by doing it. 
And so get signed up and we will prepare you to fulfill your purpose at your job. And God wants to employ you to do the greatest thing, to take his hand and connect it with those who don't know him. Paul finishes in chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Masters, or you could think bosses, give your bondservants or your employees what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Point number three, if you're taking notes, write this down, master work, master work. Masterwork is one word, synonymous with masterpiece. It's this idea that God is wanting you to be a master at your work, and when you are maybe placed in the position of a boss, that you would do that for the glory of God. And, and that Paul would write this would be outrageous, okay? Like when you understand what's going on in the culture, that he would tell the masters to be just and fair to their bond service. I mean, people would have been like, really? I don't know about that, man. Like, that's not how we do Colossae, okay, Paul? But Paul is writing this, and he is undermining all of the, the things that segregate the culture in that day. That he's saying, hey, you, you, you need to be a leader who is, who is loved by his or her followers. That he's saying, if, you, if it's not wrong for you to be a boss, be a boss, but your attitude towards those who serve you is what really matters. And so if you are a boss tonight or you're going to be a boss someday, let me just give you two things that you got to do. It's right here in the text. You need to be someone who is just and fair. The guy that I interviewed that's the CEO of this multi-million dollar company, he said, man, we just closed like a, a multi-million dollar deal. And, and I told the people that are my salespeople that they... They get a percentage of that, and I established that long before we ever closed the multi-million dollar deal. He said, it would be real easy for me to take my cut off of this multi-million dollar deal. But my employees are watching to see if I'm going to be just and fair. And they know I love Jesus Christ. And they know that I am a man after God's heart. But if I do not treat them with justice, and I do not treat them with equality, and give them what they are rightfully due, then it will undermine everything that I've stood for. And some of you are like, well, let me be the boss. You know, if I was the boss, then people, they would love me. I'd be the best boss. Like, I'd be so generous. I'd be so just and fair. I mean, it would be awesome. But then you're going to go out tonight to dinner. And you're going to have some young adult that's waiting your table. And they've been at work for a minute. And because they were a little bit slow filling up your tea, you ain't going to be just or fair to them. And you think because, because you withhold a tip from someone that that means that you're not going to be a good boss someday? Yeah. Because you're becoming more of who you are today. And you need to begin to, in the moments where you have the authority to be just and to be fair, you need to begin, begin to do those things today. You need to do things today that will prepare you to be the man or the woman of God tomorrow. Because at the end of the day, we all work for an audience. Whether we are aware of it or not, some of us, we perform to please our parents, others to impress our peers, others to win over superiors, while many do what they do strictly just to live up to your own standards. And all of these audiences, they are inadequate. And working for them alone will lead you to overwork or underwork, or sometimes it'll lead you to both. And that Paul is saying that in Christ, your audience is God himself. And this is how the most mind-numbing jobs and the most mundane jobs can have purpose. 
Just this past weekend, I met a guy. He's a former Army Ranger, retired. Brother doesn't need any money. He's a bad mamma jamma. He survived a lightning strike. And I met him because he brought two young adults that he works with, and he introduced one of the young adults as his boss. She's like 25. I'm like, she's your boss? I'm like, where do y'all work? He works at Dollar General. And here's a man who does not need to work, but he's decided to go to work. And some of y'all, you have an idea of Dollar General worker in your mind. And you think, oh, man, I'm above that. No, you're not. This man chooses to go work at Dollar General. Why? So that he can enter into the middle space and he can grab God's hand and he can connect it with the hand of young adults. And when you understand that Christ is your master, that he is your boss, it allows you to enter into whatever workspace and to live for the glory of God. Listen, we don't work for the purpose of play. We work so that we can live for God's purpose. And we need to have the right view of work. The masterwork that ultimately God invites us into is to use our work to make lots of money, to close the big deals, to create beautiful art, to change society, to heal the sick, to build new culture, to innovate, and to do all those things for the glory of God and the souls of men. That we would dominate our workplace, but the masterwork is to connect our work to the gospel of Jesus. The guy who I interviewed getting ready for this message, he, he shared with me something that happened recently. He said, that I got news on a Wednesday that my top salesman, he lives in Florida, he was helping a lady change her tire, and someone recklessly driving swerved over and smoked him. And so I get a phone call, or I get the news that he is fighting for his life in ICU. My calendar, by the but but the providence of God was open, and so I hop on a flight, and I'm flying down to Florida as flat, as fast as I can. And he said, the whole time I'm praying, God, give me boldness to share the gospel because I knew that I had not shared the gospel with him, and I was not confident that he knew Christ. And I was praying, God, give me the boldness, God, provide. I don't know if he's in a coma. I don't know what's going on. Give, help me, God. Help me have the opportunity just to share the gospel with him because I can't stand the thought of thinking that I wasted a moment to lead him to Christ. He said, so I arrive, and he's, he's unconscious. He's, he's asleep, or he doesn't really know, and so he's, you know, this guy is just like, man, I'm, I'm there. I'm hanging out with his family and just trying to you know, just survey the situation and just be there as the CEO of this organization. It's one of my top guys, and right before the day's over, this guy's dad comes down. He says, hey, hey, Tony's awake. And so I was just like there, and, and I walked up into the room, and I look at Tony, and he's, it's bad. And he's intubated. He can't talk. He's crushed parts of his body. He's, he's barely recognizable. But he's awake, and I begin to talk to him. And, and I said, hey, Tony, this is going to be a little bit awkward, but I need to ask you some questions. There's something that's really important in my life. And, and I just grabbed his hand. He said, I grabbed Tony's hand, and and I said, Tony, why don't you just let me know by squeezing one time that you understand? And he squeezed his hand once, yes. And he said, Tony, I'm going to ask you some yes or no questions. You squeeze my hand once for yes and two times for no. And so he began to ask Tony these questions. He said, Tony, the Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you believe that you're a sinner? And Tony squeezed his hand, yes. The Bible says that, that Jesus came and he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Tony, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to get to God? Squeeze my hand, yes or no? And he squeezes his hand once. And he said, Tony, if you were to die on this hospital bed, 
Are you 100% confident that you would see Jesus as your Savior when you died? Squeeze once or twice, yes or no? And he squeezes his hand twice. And so he continues and he leads Tony to Christ. Tony's doing well today. He's wheelchairing around and still selling. And he's still helping out for the organization. And this guy, he, he, he led him to Christ. And listen, the gospel tells us that we are all like Tony, spiritually. That we're intubated, that we're beaten, that we're broken down, that we cannot help ourselves. And some of you are here tonight and if I were to ask you, if I was to grab your hand and we were to, if we were to um, play out that scenario and I, was, and I was to tell you those things and you agreed, yes, yes. And then I said, are you 100% confident that you would see Jesus when you die? Would you squeeze my hand yes once? Or would you squeeze my hand twice? No. And just maybe God has sovereignly set up tonight for you. That there's a God that wants to enter into your life and change your heart. He wants to give you purpose and meaning and satisfaction. He knows every hair on your head, and he loves you more than you ever dared to imagine. And there's nothing that we can do in this life, no amount of money that we can make, no amount of difference that we can make that will justify us before a holy and righteous God. And so maybe when we conclude tonight, you need to come grab one of these young adults by the hand. And you just need to say, hey, I need to know Jesus. I need to have confidence in the gospel. There's others of you here tonight, you know Christ. And you have been given 90,000 hours in your life on average to go to work. Why not use your work as worship and live for the purpose and the glory of God? For those of you who are in Christ, Whose hand do you need to grab a hold of so that you can connect the God that you know to them? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for my friends, and I ask that you would help them to lean into this moment. God, your word, it demands a response. You tell us in your word that you have You've come to give us life and life abundantly, but we must start recognizing that, that the wages of our sin is death. But God, we thank you so much that you give us, you offer us a free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And God, if there's someone here that has not received that free gift, I pray that today would be the day. God, that you would set us loose to live a life on mission and on purpose for your glory. God, help us to make a difference in this world. Help us to connect those who are reaching out as blind men to your loving hand. In Christ's name I pray.